everyone. This is Chris and Sandy Benton from the Chris and Sandy Show, where we get up close and personal with some amazing rising artists. And today, as like I always say, we've got a great show for you because every artist is great. And the one we got on today, she's got a really cool story, a uh, really rough story. Um, so who knows where this is going to go. And that's the kind of stories we like because we want to get up close and personal because you know what? It's people's stories who's changed lives. And I really believe that. People who know our story knows about my 19 years of addictions and all that. So, uh, you know, we have no problem being transparent. But anyway, Julia, are you here? I am. Hey, how are you doing? We're doing great, and how are you? I am doing excellent. Um, sitting here in North Carolina watching it rain for the last week. Oh, <laughs> that's a lot of rain. <laughs> it, oh, it has. It absolutely has. I'm starting to feel like Noah. <laughs> you got to build your ark now. I, I, I do. We actually just um, <laughs> we have a camper and a campground here in the in a town called Marion, North Carolina, and on Wednesday we had to evacuate it, so we had to get our camper and our boat and everything out of there, so that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I've got some friends that live, I think, in Burnside, North Carolina, or, or Burnsville, whatever it is, around right around Burn, Marion. Burnsville, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and because um, I know that um, they've lived there for years, and they love it up there. I, I can't, you know, i got to be closer to a big, I mean, granted, there's not too far from Asheville, but to me, that's too far from Asheville. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's, it's not far. It's not far. Um, so as we get started here, um, tell everybody who you are, where you're from from, and your little brief story overview. Okay. Um, well, my name is Julia Ann Roberts. Um, I'm from Weaverville, North Carolina, which is right outside of Asheville. And um, I have lived there all my life until a couple of years ago when I moved here to Morganton, North Carolina, which was a culture shock for me. Um, I thought, oh my word, I have nothing here in Morganton, but I have learned that I have Abley's pot roast and I have um, Rule King, so I'm set. <laughs> and um, I, I've been singing most of my life. Um, actually, I, when I was first born, every time I would start to, to draw, I had a crayon in my hand. I would do this <laughs> constant hum. And my mom was a, she when I before I started school she kept telling my dad there's something wrong with her because she doesn't stop humming, and huh. she took me to the doctor because she thought like I had a mental condition, oh, and um, wow. yeah she did because I kept humming all the time like when I would draw or I would color or something I would just go mm. and she said you know she can't do this um, they're gonna make fun of her. Or they're going to think mm-hmm. something's wrong. So she took me to the doctor, and she asked him, you know, she said, what's wrong with her? And the doctor mm-hmm. said, nothing. You're probably just going to have a singer. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> so that's funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not to her. <laughs> she was worried. <laughs> what did they think of that? Did they ever tell you what, what their first thoughts when the doctor said that? Um. Well, you know, I, my dad is the youngest out of 17 kids. And, oh, wow. um, yeah, and every Sunday afternoon, I live next door to my grandmother. So 
every mm-hmm. Sunday afternoon, she would cook this just a huge meal. And everybody would, all my aunts and my uncles and my cousins, everybody would gather at my grandmother's after church. And mm-hmm. she had this old piano. And everybody would get down there and they would sing. So I remember, you know, to me, nothing sounded more beautiful than everybody around this piano singing. And, um, and you know, it's like you better find your own part and hang on because when you've got, <laughs> you know, 17 brothers and sisters who have children, who some of them are starting to have children, it's like really hard to find you know, to find your harmony part that somebody else has not already grabbed. <laughs> and my uncle Gene, he was the tenor singer. So, you know, he had, he had deemed that. So you can't, mm-hmm. you know, you can't match uncle Gene's tenor. So you've got to go above him or below him and all the other parts are kind of taken. So I had to try to find a part and hang on. And, um, you know, so I, I kind of just came into the world literally singing so wow. they they kind of weren't really shocked. <laughs> so they support and, what you do. Oh, they did. They did. Um, I I grew up in church, and and my mm-hmm. parents traveled with um with a youth choir. And when I was born, they had actually made me a little dress that matched the youth choir dresses, and. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, was kind of passed around through the choir while everybody was singing. So it was just sort of inevitable. <laughs> you, you were just destined to sing. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of pushed on me. It was going to happen either way. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what are some hobbies? you? Because, you know, again, I know some people don't have really hobbies, but in this day and time you really got to have balance out there because there are a lot of people getting burned out. And you don't want that in music because it, when it's your passion, you don't want to burn out. So what are some hobbies you like to do outside of music? Oh, man. Um, gosh, you know, I've got Brian and I, my fiance and I, we have our hands mm-hmm. in, in so much stuff. Um, we have four businesses aside from my music stuff. We have a print shop here called Sling and Ink. Um, we have <laughs> a mobile detail company, which is called Shira Shine. Um, then we have, um, we spring bail bonds, which is bail bonding company. And then Mm -hmm. we have our six fugitive recovery team. So we travel, you know, arresting fugitives. (laughs) Yeah. So I kind of have my hands in a lot of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I got to ask how, I got to ask, how did that happen? Going arresting fugitives how did that come to be i mean you know knowing your story a little bit that just seems like ironic um well you want me to tell you the honest truth (laughs) yeah Yeah, um of course (laughs) yeah i I, well my background is i mean i'm a recovering addict and um Mm -hmm. i kept getting in trouble and we spring bell bonds kept bonding me out of jail for my drug charges Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um they offered me a job <laughs> and Brian was the owner of the company, and that's how I met him. <laughs> huh. So, I mean, that's literally, you know, I guess it was just, you know, they say it's cheaper to keep her. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, we joke about it and we laugh about it, but in the serious side of it, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I've been on that side, and yeah, you know, and people that haven't been there, they don't know. And yeah. so for me, you know, when I got clean and I, I changed my life, I see how some people who haven't been there, the ones that have been there, and I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can't have that because good people do bad things, and yeah. I, you know, I had this desire to to pick up my cross and walk with it. And mm-hmm. I wanted to help these people, and I wanted them because, you know, they're pretty harsh, too, and they'll go, look, you don't know, you don't get it. And I'm like, well, well I, yeah, I do because, you know, let me tell you a little mm-hmm. bit. And it kind of softens yeah. them up, and, oh, wow. I mean, you know, and I'm I'm able to maybe break through some barriers that, that somebody else can't get through, and, and I'm mm-hmm. able to help somebody that otherwise might not get that help because, you know, somebody else that's bonding them out goes, oh, okay, your bond is 50000 Well, it's 10%. That's $5,000. Um, you know, who's going to sign to get you out, and what time do you want to meet at the jail? And for me, I'm going, um, okay, I see that you're 18 years old, and you've got a drug charge here. Do you understand what that's going to do to your life? You know, do you know that, you know, you're never going to get this off your record? Do you understand mm-hmm. that you're going to die? I don't want your parents to bury you. You know, I can get you out, but I'd like to get you out and put you in a rehab, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I call mom and dad and go, hey, listen, I've got a bed at this rehab. You know, I'll help you bond your kid out, but instead of them going home with you, can I please just let you come and hug them and have this person from the rehab pick them up? So, you know, so it's a little different for us. Yeah, it, it gives you a little empathy for them. Oh, it, it does, it does, and I mean, you know, and, and they see that w- that we care. I mean, you know, yeah, we have to pay our bills, but, I mean, you know, I, I, it's not going to be at the expense of somebody's child's life. I mean, it's not worth that for me, and, and mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Brian will go, you know, he's, he sometimes he'll look at me and say, hey, you just sat down and cried over somebody that you <laughs> don't even know that just died from an overdose, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm sitting down and crying because that's not me. That yep, could have been me. Could have been you. Yeah, and it should have been. <clears throat> and I'm the same way. Um, like um, Anna Christina Cash has a song called Broken Roses, and I bawled watching the video because, you know, my, the first five years of our marriage was hell for my wife because of my addictions. I went through 19 years of addictions until God healed me 12 years ago. been sober ever since. But it, it, but it was – Thank you. But that song at the very end, I remember watching in the video, and he makes a decision that I didn't because um, he jumps off a bridge because he just couldn't handle it no more. And I'm sitting there in tears because I was like, that was me. That the, you know, the last day of of drinking. You know, I remember I woke up December 26, 2007, woke up realizing I'm about to destroy a marriage. She don't deserve that. She deserves, deserves way better. And I pleaded to God. I was like, either take this desire away or I'm taking my life. I was at that point. I just I could not live any longer with these addictions in, in me. I could not do it. And I really felt like he spoke to me then and all that. And, and as I say, the rest is history because here we are. Now we got two kids. We've been married 17 years, and I get to tell my story from time to time, you know, and people are, like, stunned because, again, I went through 19 years of addictions. 
And she yep, and I was her cross. It. And I was Sandy's cross. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm here now. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Hey. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I I was her cross big time because she went through and you know, you, you, you with your addiction, the, the family gets it gets it the worst. They do. They're the ones that have to suffer. And, you know, I often tell people, you know, I'm like, you were high through all that. You know, you weren't feeling anything. You didn't have to worry. I mean, you know, they were the ones that were clean. And, um, you know, they they weren't mm-hmm. stressing. I mean, you know, they they had the stress of it. I mean, you just went through mm-hmm. a fog. Exactly. If you got upset, I, you just got high again. They didn't have that luxury. Like I remember after I got um, sober, and then two or three years later, we found church and all that and got back in the, that. And, I, and we started listening to a lot of marriage sermons and all that. And I remember one day I sat – because I knew that God, God used Sandy to help heal, heal me. So I knew it was my turn to help heal the damage on her because, of course, there was some damage there, but she was hiding it. So I remember one day I sat her down sometime in 2010, and I sat her down, and I said, okay – I'm ready to hear what I put you through. It's like, I won't say a word. I promise. Just tell me how you felt. Tell me everything I did. And let's just get this out now. Because I knew she needed this. And I remember about 30 minutes to an hour in, as she's talking this and that and this and that, I'm sitting there like, oh, my God, what have I done? I shouldn't have. I spoke up too soon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, she she let it out. <laughs> she told me everything. I mean, there were things that yeah, she told everything. me. I'm like, are you for real? <laughs> yeah, how did that all feel go down? And but I knew she needed that. Yeah. I knew that. I knew that 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 she needed that healing, and the only way she was going to mm-hmm. get the healing was going to come from me showing that I get it. Well, yeah, absolutely. It was, good. it was good that she got that out, and it was good of you to sit and, and listen. She deserved that. Yep, and here and again, like I said, here we are, stronger than ever. You know, oh, yeah. that was really the, the. I mean, granted, it changed our marriage when I quit the alcohol and drugs and all that, of course. Um, but I think the the big twist happened about that round 2010 when we found church again, started reading marriage books, started doing marriage stuff, mm-hmm. and then I sat her down at that. I really think that, that was probably a big defining moment in our marriage because from that point on, it was. We, we was where we really started growing together again. Yeah, it was very healing. Well, you know, people, <laughs> I hear people talk and, you know, when they say, I'm clean because, you know, I had rehab and I'm clean because I had family support and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and all of those things are true. But the true point is you're clean and you're here simply just by God's grace and nothing more, nothing yep. less. Well, that's what I always yeah. tell. God healed me. God, because that day when I pleaded with, with God, I, I, and, and people, think, people think I'm crazy when I say this, but I don't really care. Um, I remember him t- nudging me saying, I will heal you. Give me 30 days. Now, now back then, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going crazy here, because why would God need 30 days? See, I didn't, I didn't understand what He was doing back then. I understand it now. When you read the Bible, every miracle was preceded with some type of obedience. This 30 days was my obedience 
to stay clean for 30 days, and I would be healed the rest of my life. I didn't get that then, but I wanted to believe it. And it was so, so it was somewhere around the 28-day mark. That's the last time I remember ever feeling desire towards alcohol and drugs. <clears throat> and to this day, I have zero desire. And I truly oh, believe awesome. that he healed me from that. And that's awesome. And that's awesome that you have that story that you can share and that you can help people with. And, you know, I, I have people ask me a lot of times, they'll go, you know, why are you so open? You shouldn't talk about this. You know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be so, you know, so giving. It's almost mm-hmm. like you're proud of it. And I'm like, I'm not at all. I'm not at all proud of it. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't. They're like, you know, your family, you have such a good family and they're such a staple in the community. And, you know, I mean, my mom was in the school system. My dad was in the politics. And, you know, mm-hmm. everybody oh, knows wow. my family. And, you know, and mm-hmm. they're like, you should be quiet. And I'm like, no, I should not. You know, because first of <laughs> all, the stigma is everybody that does drugs or everybody that's in addiction comes from trash. Yeah. I didn't come from trash. My parents have been married 54 years. I'm absolutely spoiled, rotten. I mean, Brian will just, he'll just look at my dad randomly and be like, I hate you, Gary. And my dad will just laugh. <laughs> and he's like, you know, you have spoiled her, and now I have to finish this out. Thanks a lot. You know? And my dad will just go, well, <laughs> you know, and just laugh. And my my brothers were 11 and 13 when I was born. So, I mean, you know, they spoiled me too. And, I mean, you know, and they'll just kind of, Brian laughs and tells them, he's like, you know, you guys have, you haven't paid me my weekly 20 bucks. You know, you've got to give me 20 bucks every week to keep her away. Or else if you don't pay me, I'm bringing her back. So, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, I had a, a great life. I mean, growing up. Yeah. So, you know, I, I really had no excuse for doing what I did. And, I, you know, and I didn't, I didn't struggle with addiction all my life. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't grow up. I mean, I joke and say, you know, I live with Ozzy and Harriet. So I didn't grow up watching, you know, mom on booze or popping pills or, yeah. you know, or dad out, yeah. you know, drunk or anything like that. I didn't grow up in that. You know, my, the way mm-hmm. I, you know, turned to drugs was a totally different reason. And, and I mean, you know, and, and it was kind of a stupid reason too. I had had some bouts with cancer and, um, mm-hmm. And I was in the entertainment industry, and I had always been somebody that stayed in shape and didn't have to struggle mm-hmm. with weight. And and then when they removed my thyroid completely, I couldn't get the weight off. And, you know, I mean, I was oh, wow. in, in entertainment. It's hard, you know. Nobody wants to hear fat kid things. I mean, yeah. and for somebody that had always mm-hmm. been, you know, a cheerleader and a model and been in pageants and done all that kind of stuff growing up and had always mm-hmm. been – that girl, you know, yeah. all of a sudden to pack on all the weight and everything and couldn't get it off, I was like, oh, Lord, and I didn't have any energy, and I was tired all the time, and I was depressed, mm-hmm. and I was going to the doctor, and I was asking them, you know, please, can you fix this, and, and they mm-hmm. couldn't, and it was just getting worse and worse and worse, and so I, you know, I turned it and started smoking meth, and then you know, and the thing is, is I was able to function and I was able mm-hmm. to do everything that I needed to do. I could, you mm-hmm. know, I could be on a TV show. I could, <laughs> I could write music. I could perform. Mm-hmm. I got the weight off. Um, 
I had the energy. And, and you mm-hmm. know, and I often said, if some redneck can cook that in their bathtub, how come somebody with an education can't fix me? <laughs> and and that's, that's mm-hmm. a shame. Yeah. And that's absolutely a shame. And then the thing was, um, because I am an entertainer and I can talk to people, then I realized, guess what? I'm good at selling this crap. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And then I could make a whole lot of money at it. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing we know, Julie's got a problem. And I, mean, I guess you were you know, using and selling, which is worse. I was, and I was good at selling it because people liked me, and I got away with it because nobody suspected, you know? <laughs> I mean, growing up in yeah. the status mm-hmm. that I did in my community, I could do it right mm-hmm. in front of the cops because who would have thought that I was doing that? Yeah. And because everybody thought that a meth addict was this gross, grimy person, and so who in the world would have ever thought that I was going into rap houses? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't look like the person wearing a $100 jeans and $150 tennis shoes. You know? Yeah. Not a teacher's kid. She's not doing that. Exactly. And I, so, mine was a closet one, too, because even though I didn't get, like, a mess, <laughs> no, it was big into alcohol, but, like, Sandy and I, we would go to all these business events that had like free alcohol and all that, but I never drank there. I didn't want business people to see that side of me, but I'd come home and I'd drink. So nobody really knew what was really going on behind closed doors. See, people were shocked with me um, when I actually made the whole front page of the Weaverville Tribune. It said pretty oh, wow. woman busted her mess. Because my name was Julia Roberts, they made a play on my name, uh-huh. and that's actually yeah. how my Pretty Woman anti-drug campaign yeah. came about. Yeah, because I took I took that and turned it on them. I said, okay, you know, when I got clean, I took the I took what the Weaverville Tribune had done and uh-huh. and I turned it into something, and now I have the Pretty Woman anti-drug campaign, and oh, wow. I'm able to help a lot of people through that as well. So, you know, and Mm -hmm. I was so angry at that newspaper because they, you know, it was shameful. But at the same time, that was my freedom. That was when it's all out there in black and white for everybody to see. Mm -hmm. There's no running. There's no denying. Um, It's there. (laughs) And you've got to face it. So, you know, that was... That was the one thing that embarrassed me was probably the one thing that helped to save me because... When it's there, you have to deal with it. You have to face it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's when the healing started to begin was when it was all out there. Because I had a hit. Ain't it, am- because, you know, Ain't it amazing how that works? It was. You know, it was It was free. They kind of gave me my freedom in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they surely didn't mean it for that. But, yeah. you know, they were really nice. They actually went back um, a couple of years ago. And they did a really nice article because in 2018 in Nashville, I won the Indyville TV um, Female Vocalist of the Year. Mm-hmm. And um, they did uh, another big, huge article, and it said from arrestee to award winner. And they talked about oh, how wow. they had done the article yeah. on me then and, mm-hmm. you know, how they were doing a new article on how I was clean and, you know, how yeah. I had turned my life around. That is really cool. I mean, 
and like you said at the beginning of this, people who've never been there don't understand. They 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 don't get it. They no, they, they want to be judgmental about people who are there, and and, and and like I mean I see so many times well you know where there's this big battle that where addictions is a disease. No, it's not a disease. Yes, it is a disease. No, it's not a disease. And it's like, who cares? Right. It's happening out there. <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, yeah. you know, whether, it's a, whether it's a disease or not, it really, because the people that say it's not a disease are also the same people that say you, anybody can quit. But they don't know because they've never been there. Yeah. And it frustrates me sometimes when I watch it. Uh, sometimes I have to pull away from Facebook. I'm like, okay, i got to get out of that conversation. <laughs> Most of the people that are saying what it is or what it isn't have never been through it. Yeah. And, because and I, don't think it, I don't think it really matters what it is or what it isn't it, because yeah. the, the important thing is is that it is. Yeah. And, and, let's say and, that, and let's say it's not a disease. Let's say, because it starts out, you take a drink. Okay, it's not a disease. Take a second drink. Okay, it's not a disease. By the time you took your 1,000th drink, it's probably a disease then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yep. the part they don't get, that, that yes, it's not a disease per se when you first get it, when you first take your drinks. But eventually it becomes that because your brain works for habits. They don't care what kind of habit it is. Eventually, you get to the point where things are second nature. Like when you drive a car. How, how many times when you're driving a car down the road and you're like, man, did I go through a red light or not? Because when you go in the same pattern every time, every day, then you look back and wonder if you, if you went through any red lights. Because you're like, I don't even remember going through lights cause you, because it's such a habit doing that. That's, that's the same thing addiction. You do it so much that it becomes such a habit, remember doing any of it. That's true. And people don't, and like you said, people don't, people don't understand that. And, and that's another reason why I'm open to, you know, yeah, just like you, I've had people tell me, now granted, I don't come from a background where everybody knows my family and all that, but still people that, why are you so open? It's because if, if I can help that one person to overcome what I have overcame, then it's worth it. Absolutely. <clears throat> and, I, and I think that people need to, I mean, you know, there's a, um, there's actually a group that um, I had on my t-shirt a couple of days ago. It's um, the We Do Recovery mm-hmm. shirt, and it's from a, a Steel Lips Destroy group. And I like that name so well because it's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Steel Lips Destroy. I mean, you know, closed mouth doesn't get fed. I think we need to speak up because, there are more people suffering in silence than than we can even begin to imagine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and when you do get to talk to people, it's always shocking to me, and I don't know why it's still shocking, that <laughs> how many people are dealing with it or have someone mm-hmm. close that are dealing with it. Yeah. It's definitely a lot of people out there. And you know what? After this whole coronavirus is over, it's going to be worse. You know, I, I told Brian, I said, I feel like I needed, when this first started, I said, I feel like I need to go live on my Pretty Woman page and, and talk to people, and I didn't, and I feel like I should have, because people that were, you know, trying to get clean actively, you know, and they were early on in being clean, 
I was so concerned about that because sitting at home and not being able to go out, you know, where and not being able mm-hmm. to go to meetings and not being able to go to to their rehab classes and things, you know, I know, I know they had viral, they had the virtual meetings and they had Zoom meetings and stuff like that. Still, it's not the same. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was worried and concerned. So, I, But I did a lot of praying for those people. Um, yeah. Because I know, you know, I know sometimes when I get down, I know where my mind still wanders back to. And, yeah. you know, I worry about people that are fresh in recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, sitting at home with nothing to do, where's that going to let the bad path to lead back to? And mm-hmm. then for those that are even selling drugs and stuff, you know, when they can't work and things, you know, I mean, to work for a whole week and to have to tell, have somebody else tell you what to do and, you know, and to not make mm-hmm. very much money, but then to be able to step out that door in an hour and a half to be able to get what you could, you know, what you would make in a whole week. <laughs> it's really, it's really yeah. a hard thing to, to not want to go do because that's yeah. addiction as much as the drug itself is. Yeah, exactly. So as, as we, you know, and I really love where this is going because, again, I never know – we never know where. I mean, I always know the stories behind people before they come on, but and this was kind of really important to me to have you on. And, oh, by the way, you're, no, you're interview number 100 for us. Oh, <laughs> yes. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is kind 100. of a special one on multiple levels, and that wasn't planned. It just ended up happening this way, um, but it was like – Oh, it's a, and it's a special to me because of my addictions, and I've been in and out of jail when I was, you know, when I was in my early twenties, late teens and early twenties and stuff. So your story kind of reminds me of a lot of me. So I'm like, oh, this is a really special one. And then it's also our number one hundred interviews. So I'm like, hey, this is really cool the way this worked out. <laughs> that is, that's awesome. I love it. That's really cool. <clears throat> So when you look back at your career so far, what are some moments where you're like, wow, I got to do that? Um, You know, I think probably, um, obviously, winning, you know, Indieville TV Female Vocalist of the Year and winning that in Mm -hmm. Nashville, Tennessee, that was really cool for me. (laughs) But for me, I would have to say my my most defining moment in my career so far – Hearing my song "Fallen Angel" being played on the radio for the first time was uh, was awesome. I mean, you know, that was a really cool feeling. Um, oh, wow. But my most defining moment for me personally would be when I was in Sandy Hook, Kentucky, which is the home of mm-hmm. Keith Whitley. And um, I'm a huge Keith Whitley fan. Anybody that knows me knows that. <laughs> and um, I played in. I played an outdoor show, and that show was special to me for a lot of reasons. And it was uh, mm-hmm. that was the first show that I did um, after I got clean, and mm-hmm. um, the first show that I did clean. <laughs> so <laughs> I was nerve wracked oh, wow. about that, yeah, <laughs> because uh, yeah, I was like, ooh, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Because I I had always performed and I had done it, you know, high. And so it was like Mm -hmm. second nature. And then it was almost like I I felt like I'd never been on a stage before. And for me, you know, I didn't realize how much I had done. And and to do it there in Keith's hometown under, you know, 
under a banner with his name over the top and mm-hmm. with Keith's background, you know, with addiction and stuff. I was like, whoa. And then <laughs> to stand in a spot where he had stood many, many times growing up with his brother Dwight, um, you know, when his career was just beginning to take off, mm-hmm. was so surreal. And <clears throat> then when I got done um, and I sang a gospel song a cappella, and I told a little bit about my story, and this white-haired man with a beard stands up and gives me a standing ovation. And then I walk off the stage, and I, you know, go off to the right of the stage. Somebody meets me there to shake my hand, and it turns out to be his brother, Dwight. Um, oh, wow. I thought my knees would buckle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I had his family there. The Whitley family was there, Um his, his nephew, Michael Keith, um, his, mm-hmm. his niece, Amanda, um, his sister-in-law, um, Flo, and his brother, Dwight, and um, some of his cousins and stuff were there. So I, I got to meet them and I became very close with them throughout the years. But to me, that was a, a very defining thing to be in his hometown underneath his banner um, where he had stood. Oh, wow. Was, that is really yeah, awesome. Yeah, it was, I remember the air, I can remember how the air felt, how it smelled, and I can remember mm-hmm. the feeling in the pit of my stomach and thinking, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> and I got teary-eyed, and um, I, I think I said something about it on stage, because I said, you know, it's crazy to stand right where a legend stood. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, wow. that was a huge moment for me. That is really cool. And you talked about Fallen Angel. We're going to play that in just a second. We're going to take a little quick commercial break, and then we're going to play the song, and we're going to come talk about that. How's that sound? Okay, sounds good. Hey, everyone. We have partnered with another great podcast called The Sports Guys Podcast. You can find them over at thesportsguyspodcast.com. The Sports Guys Podcast is a sports and country music podcast hosted by Brandon, Nick, and Andy. They cover sports on a state, regional, and national level with many of the biggest names in the sports industry. The Sports Guys also host a Backstage Pass music segment where they go behind the scenes and talk with some of the biggest artists in country music, everything from Texas country, Americana, as well as Nashville artists. The Backstage Pass provides a more in-depth look at the musicians' rise in music as they talk about their career and tell stories about their music to share with their fans. Many of the same guests will be appearing on our show as well. Again, you can find them over at thesportsguyspodcast.com. It's a grand slam of sports and music. Please go over and check them out. Like the other, he knew it from the start. He knew she wasn't ready. Still, he broke her heart. She tried and tried. Oh 
teardrops in her eyes She's a fallen angel Hanging by a prayer Fallen angel Nobody cares She only Really beautiful song. Oh, yes. You here? I'm here. Okay. Now, really, so what, tell us the story behind that song. I really love the song. Um, well, that song, a lot of people think that that song is about me having my heart broken and 
that that is about a, a love interest, but it is not. That is actually about my battle with addiction. Oh, wow. Um, I kind of uh, yeah. figured that. Yeah, a yeah. lot of people, you know, they when we first did that song and put it out, you know, everybody was like, you know, we kept, you know, kind of built up the suspense and, you know, we're like, what do you mm-hmm. think that song's about? And they're like, oh, it's about your heart being broken. It's about some guy. And I was kind of laughing. I was like, ah. <laughs> So, you know, when I finally told somebody one time, that song's about meth, they went, what? Julie, did you have to be so <laughs> blunt? And I'm like, you act like you've never met me before. <laughs> that's exactly, that's not about a man. I'm like, I'm not going to, I wouldn't give them that much. Come on. That song's too good to be about a man. I love it, I love it. That's what it's about. I mean, you know, it's just about, it's just about my struggle. It's about, you know, where mm-hmm. I've been and. And I actually wrote that song in a truck shop bathroom in Nashville. Um, <laughs> it was pouring the rain, wow. and um, I had to I had to go use the bathroom. That's that's my thing. My tombstone will say, "Wait, I've got to pee," because <laughs> 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 that's my words. And, and, oh, God, I mean, that's, that's funny. That's the truth. That's what my recovery team tells me. Um, you know, I'm like, don't be like, we've got a hit on a house on where somebody's at. And I'll be like, they're like, all right, everybody vest up. And I'm like, hang on, i got to use the bathroom. And they're like, look, you know, they're going to be in that house. We've got to go. And I'm like, y'all don't understand. i got to use the bathroom. And they're like, oh, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> but I yeah, have to use the bathroom. And so I, I went really and I got, cool. I got my toilet paper. And I was, <laughs> Travis, who played the bass for me, he called me. Uh-huh. And he was like, man, come on. It's pouring the rain. We've got to go. we got to go across this mountain. And I'm like, all right. And just hang on a minute. So I come running out, and I've got my toilet papers, and I'm like, Travis, look what I did. And he was like, I, Jules, I don't need to see that. I'm like, no, no. I wrote a song on it, and I had it written eyeliner on the toilet paper. And he was like, is that what you were in the bathroom doing? And I was like, yeah, yeah. So that's where Fallen Angel came from. <laughs> I love, love, love that. And you know, one of the questions that I forgot to ask at the very beginning that I, I love the answers to, and this kind of seems like a perfect spot to put it in, is what's something quirky about you? I can just tell you got a good answer on that one. Something quirky? Yeah. Oh, um, good grief. I mean, I'm really super-duper <laughs> OCD. I mean – My wife like, is too. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I am like, too, very much. I'm crazy OCD. Like, I mean, that's we'll be getting ready to go out on recovery, and I'll run mm-hmm. back in here behind the recovery team and make sure that they've, like, put the pillows and stuff back on my couch right. I mean, it doesn't matter <laughs> if they're getting ready to go arrest somebody or what. Like, I'll run back in the door, and I'm like, did they put that blanket back up on my couch? Did they put my pillows back up? And I'll be like, did they all go put their glasses back in my sink? And, I mean, and they're all mm-hmm. going, you know, Honking the horn, going, come on, let's go, let's go, and and I mean, I don't, Brian, what's something quirky about me? <laughs> he's over here playing Call of Duty, by the way. He's sitting over here on our couch listening to <laughs> uh-huh. Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> what is the? Oh, he says I have a lot of blonde moments. <laughs> I do. I mean, I, I do have a lot of blonde moments. <laughs> 
That's I funny. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's there's so mm. many things. I mean, I'm always yeah. doing something off the wall, like super off the wall. I bet my brother, they were listening. If they were listening, they'd probably be like, oh, well, I know. I can tell you. I can tell you. She does this, 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 and this. You know what's funny is I, um, a few weeks ago, and I guess Lil Chris heard something on his cartoons. I'm not sure. He's eight years old, which you'll hear from him in a little while. We always bring him on to ask one question. Um, so funny. This. But, but he come to us, and he said, what does normal mean? It's like, how, how do you even – and my first thought was, not us. Absolutely. (laughs) And I actually answered them, normal means normal. And I'm like, wait, don't I have a better answer than that? (laughs) I know. What does normal mean? I don't know. Not normal. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I think if you consider yourself normal, you're probably boring. I went Maybe. to my daughter at one time, and I told her because, I mean, like, I just was not feeling myself at all. Like, I really uh-huh. thought I was, like, losing it more than on my normal day, And uh, uh-huh. speaking of normal. And I went in there, and I told her, I said, I'm crazy. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I'm crazy. I'm losing it. And I was just crying. I mean, I was all serious. And she said, Julie, she said, do you think that, that what you're doing is is normal behavior. She said, "Do you think that you're that you're acting okay?" And I said, "No, I'm not." And she said, "Then you're not crazy because crazy people think that they're okay." You're not crazy. She said, "You know that this is not uh, you know that this is out of character for you. So you're you're not crazy." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah." That just made me feel better right then. I'm like, all right, I'll leave now. Thank you. So, He's like, um, right, one thing you I know, like to take do. Your money. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. One thing I like to do on our show is because, you know, when, people, when fans see you, they don't see like the PR people, the managers, producers, anything. They see you. So, the, but it takes the team to help have you be who you are. Without them, you can't do what you need to do. So take a m- few moments to just tell us a little bit about your team around you because give them some recognition. Okay. Um, well, I had most of my career has been me doing everything with trial and error because I wasn't born <laughs> into money. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I, I learned um, early on what the word no means. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's where my acting ability came in because I <laughs> learned to be um, so-and-so and such-and-such such calling for Julia Ann. Yeah. And um, then when I was in Sandy Hook is where I met Phyllis. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And um, at that same show that I told you about. Mm-hmm. And um, she... I was, you know, I think I was kind of scared to ask for management from anyone because of my what I had went through. And, yeah. I mean, you know, it really somebody had told me, they were like, you know, you can be famous now. So why? <laughs> They're like, because you've been arrested and you've been in the paper. And everybody that's famous has done that. 
So now you're okay. Now you've had that first scandal to move on with your career. I was like, what? <laughs> so I was like, okay. You know, they're like, you've been arrested, you know, and it's, you've been smeared through the papers. Now you're ready to go. Now you've got everything you need for a career. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> they were like, think about it, though. They said everybody, you know, famous has been through something. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't see it. I didn't see it that way. But so when I first yeah. talked to Phyllis, um, you know, I didn't know, you know, that she had been following me as closely as she had. And mm-hmm. she already knew. Yeah. And um, she was just waiting on me to tell her. <laughs> and so she was talking about management with me. And I just, I finally, I said, you know, um, I got to tell you about something. And she said, all right. And I told her, and she said, well, Julia, I already knew. And she said, but, mm-hmm. you know, that that makes me want to manage you even more because you were honest with me. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, I'm I'm a lot of things. I said, I'm, I'm hateful. I'm moody. I'm spoiled. <laughs> I want to do everything my way. Um, I think I'm always right, but I'm not a liar. Yeah. And and she will tell you they call me the SGU brat. <laughs> and um, when I came into <clears throat> SGU, it's just it was Drake King and uh, Jason Lee, and Jason passed away um, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And um, oh, wow. yeah, and Phyllis had two. Um, Phyllis has two fur babies, and. Um, mm-hmm. She was thinking about getting a third one, and um, she didn't. She ended up getting me instead. So her husband <laughs> wanted another. He wanted another another dog, and uh, they got me instead. <laughs> That's the joke. And, and Drake and Drake and Jason were very disappointed because she Phyllis already had a uh, Braxina and Bling, and they thought she, that she was going to get a third girl that way. Um, they didn't know she was going to bring a girl into SGU, and so she told them they were getting mm-hmm. another sister, and they were like, oh, yay, when are you getting another Yorkie? And she said, no, I'm bringing in Julia Ann, and they were like, what's a Julia Ann? <laughs> it was like, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Drake and Jason got a sister that way. And, That's um, funny. We miss Jason a lot, but uh, Drake and I are super mm-hmm. close, and, and Drake is – um. Drake is a partner in SGU as well as an artist, and um, mm-hmm. he is uh, he and Phyllis um, they do a great job. They uh, they listen, they listen yeah. to you, and um, and it, it's run like a family. SGU is we all butt mm-hmm. heads, yeah. and um, trust me, we all butt heads. <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, we all still love each other. Yeah. And that's the it's difference. Important. Yeah, SGU artists support each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we all, if you notice, on all of our pages, we all share each other's stuff. Um, we all like each other's stuff. We all promote each mm-hmm. other. Um, yeah. It's not, you know, it's not just all about me and my stuff. You know, mm-hmm. you'll see Drake's stuff on there. You'll see Zoe's stuff on there. Um, you'll even mm-hmm. still see Jason's stuff on there. Just because Jason's gone doesn't mean that he's forgotten. Yeah. Um, you know, that's just how we work. 
And, you know, that I drove from really awesome. to my momager. <laughs> and, you know, because she's she's there. I mean, you know, I call her as much mm-hmm. about my personal stuff as I do my music stuff. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a hard thing. You know, people go, you know, you guys are too close personally. Well, music is such an emotionally driven yep. thing. Exactly. You can't, this is a thing that you can't not be personal in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because, I mean, and, artists are, we're mm-hmm. emotional creatures. <laughs> I know the feeling. I mean, yeah, everybody in music probably needs to be, we probably all need bipolar meds and we probably all need to be assigned our own counselor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, you know, we're just all like that. And you know, when you yeah. said that that people said y'all were too close, you know, Sandy and I now we're married, and people tell us about yeah. that because you know we oh, married yeah. 20, 17 years ago, and one of my dreams was to, and I, it took me a lot of women to go through to find the one that wanted to live like this, but I wanted to live a twenty four seven marriage. That was just my ideal, utopia marriage that we would build a legacy together. And and I got laughed at for that. Sandy loved the idea. And guess what? We've been a 24-7 couple for 17 years of marriage. And Pete, to this day, people still tell us, y'all are just too close. Yeah, we hear it all the time. <laughs> people tell you, are you together all the time? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're never apart. Yeah, Brian yeah. and I hear that a lot too, don't we? Because we live together, we work together, you know, we, yes. you know, all, and they say, you guys are, you know, y'all are together too much, but I mean, you know, that's how we are. Well, we, we've been like this for 17 years and, 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 you know, and a lot of the people that put us down for living like this are divorced, married, divorced, married. Some of them married mm-hmm. three times since, and in this 17 years and we're still here stronger than ever. Yes. Well, you know, I mean, I think people have a very misconstrued version of what marriage is these days. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> My mm-hmm. parents have been married 54 years, so I have one awesome, amazing example of what marriage yep. is supposed to be, yes. and that's why it's taken me, I'm 46, and I've never been married, and Brian and I are engaged now, and the reason that I have never been married is because I have added a lot of mistakes to my list in life, and I did not want to make that one of them. And because yeah. when you get married, that's a promise mm-hmm. that you're not only making to that person, but you're making it to God. And yes. I wanted to wait until I found that right person, and it's taken me that long to find the person that I wanted to spend <laughs> the rest of my life with. Yeah. Because I want to have what my parents had, and it Mm -hmm. took me till this to find that. That is really awesome. You know, I mean, I was convinced that it was there, and I just did not settle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, poor Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we can tell that you're a big family, and we we feel the same way. We We consider our show a family affair. And we have a third partner, our little Chris, our eight-year-old. He, we always get him on to ask one question to each artist. So he's, he's saying oh, he's wow. going to get him on. Yeah, and he's been on almost every show. 
um, and he loves this. And he and he comes and goes quick. <laughs> okay. okay, here he but, is. Hi, Camille. What's your favorite food? What's my favorite food? I like salmon. Yep. Do you know what salmon is? Uh, uh, my pizza. You like pizza? I don't think, I'm not sure if he's had salmon. I know he's had fish, but I don't know if he's had salmon itself. Tell your parents that you want salmon now, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> That's funny. <clears throat> I have a little. I, I have a nephew named Oakley, mm-hmm. and he's going to be four in August. And I was just mm-hmm. thinking yeah. to myself, there is no way I would ever put him on a live show to ask somebody something because I do not know what he would ask. <laughs> uh, well, we well we, we have him set up to ask the same question every show. There's a reason for that. We do. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's always same question. <laughs> he loves yeah, I don't it. Know. I don't know that I can trust Oakley to do that though, because once he's out there, he's out there. <laughs> <laughs> now remember, now remember, look, Chris is eight years old, so you know. Yeah, a, yeah, he's eight, he's, almost eight and a half. <clears throat> but yeah, he's he's done really good. In fact, it's funny. He's big um, there, he's the one that all the artists remember a lot of time. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll watch a live, uh, like we we let people take over New Country Buzz's website, and. Sometimes mm-hmm. they'll be talking about Sandy and I, and, this, and that we interviewed them, and they says, "Oh, and let me say that, that you know, look, they let little Chris ask me what my what my favorite food was, and and then they end up saying, and his was pizza, and they're like, well, they're talking about him. They always you know? remember that, yeah, they remember him. <laughs> if you think of the interview, they remember him. So he, so he's our secret weapon. He is. He's gonna be like, what's salmon? <laughs> I'm like, what's salmon? <laughs> I so love it. If, I absolutely love it. <laughs> so if you could co-write with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be, and what's, what would the song be about you want to write? Um, it would be Keith Whitley. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I would like to write with Keith Whitley because, um, you know, I think he and I are, are like-minded. I think we're kindred spirits. Um, mm-hmm. We've definitely been through some stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we would probably just, I think we'd write about that. I think we'd write about, you know, I think mm-hmm. we'd write about our struggles. Mm-hmm. I definitely yeah, think it has awesome. some substance to it. <laughs> True. So I'm about to ask a question, and I'm going to, and the way I word it, I'll explain why I word it this way afterwards. There's a purpose behind the way I word this. If you had a magic wand and what you're about to say would 100% come true, where do you want to be in five years? And the reason I'm asking it in that way is this past February made five years that we asked that same question to Kelsey Ballerini. Her answer that she gave us five years ago is the life she's living right now. I think that's powerful there, that she spoke it to us of how she wanted to live within this music business, mm-hmm. and she's doing exactly what she said. And, and, I, and the reason I bring that story up is I want artists to really think on this question. Where do you really want to be in five years? And some artists, they don't want to be on top like Kelsey is. You know, but I want them to really think, where do you really want to be in five years? Oh, wow. You wouldn't put pressure on anybody, would you? <laughs> not, not at all. <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I think um I think everybody wants to be on top. Um Yeah. I think everybody wants to be a success and I think everybody wants to make it big. Um mm-hmm. I think that's what we all dream about. And I think that's why, you know, we all want to make it. Um and would I like to be where to where healthy ballerini is in five years? <laughs> yeah. Um mm. I also know that, you know, I'm forty six. Mm. So am I delusional? No. Um I just in five years if I'm still right where I'm at, I'll be happy. Mm. And now does that sound like I don't have goals or dreams to somebody? Maybe. But you mm. know, my life and I'm gonna tear up when I say this is already a success. Yeah. Because I have God yeah. and I have a family that loves me. Mm-hmm. Because I'm clean, and I've already made it so much further than some people could ever dream about. Yep. Because yeah, I have successful businesses, and I have people in my corner now. Mm-hmm. Do I want to see my music climb? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you know, my story's a little different. In yeah. five years, I just hope that I can help other people. And I can be a little bit further with my music and that maybe my story can have helped more people. And that's what it's about, the story. Yes. Because every story matters. You know, in five years, that's just where I hope I'm at. That, That is awesome. So let's say you had a friend and and this, now this would be pre COVID advice. And let's say that um, um, they've played maybe 10, 20 shows. They haven't done a whole lot of shows yet, but they've got what every artist gets, that stage bug. They've looked over the crowd, the crowd's cheering, and there's something inside of them that they feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. They come to you and they say, Julianne, I feel like I'm supposed to do this with my life. What advice would you give that specific person? And you've heard, and let's say you've heard them sing, and you, you could tell they got something special. It's not like some because there are some people that say that, and you're like, well, you might want to learn songwriting really quick, you know, <laughs> you know. There's some <laughs> people like that. But, oh, Lord, but, um, I'm not that. <laughs> but but let's say that you've heard them sing, and they've really got a great tone. They sound good. They got they they got that it factor. You can see it. And so what advice would you give that specific person to help guide them the next two, three, four years? Then just don't give up. I mean, you know, just keep on pushing forward. Um, you know, don't let – this is a jaded industry. Mm. And there are some nasty people out there. Um, it's very cutthroat. And people will always be clawing and pulling at you to try to tear you down. And mm. if you honestly believe that's where you are supposed to be, then you just almost have to have tunnel vision, and you just have to keep looking forward. Because if you look mm-hmm. to the right or you look to the left or you look behind you, you're going to get derailed fast, and you're mm-hmm. going to get discouraged. And that's a sad mm-hmm. thing to say because, honestly, sometimes the music's the last part of it. Performance 
is the last part of it. There's so many facets to this industry. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know, people go, I just want to sing. I mean, you know, and I, I got to that. I've got burnout, and I've said I'm done, and I'm going to quit so many times because, I mean, there's a lot of good singers out there, and there's a lot of them that deserve to be up there that aren't. There's a lot of them that are <laughs> up there that, oh, I just I won't even touch that. But, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I hate to say mm-hmm. it, but, yeah. I mean, you know, the wrong person saying the wrong thing at one minute will discourage you and cause you to never step out there again. Yeah. And you just got to just stay strong-minded and not allow somebody to get in your head. And you just can't let, if that's what you want, then just keep pushing. Mm-hmm. Don't Don't ever let anybody hold you back from it because, they will, and even the ones that aren't trying to hold you back will sometimes hold you back because they yep. may think they're doing the right thing for you, and they may honestly have your best interest at heart, but they may not know. I mean, you know you better than anybody, and yep, you just got to keep going for you. And you're going to have some casualties along the way, and that's a sad thing. Mm-hmm. But... You just gotta I, keep I love going. That. <clears throat> I love that. And you're talking about people with intentions. Like one, I think one of the best intentions I will say uh, when you need to have a real job. Don't need. Don't worry about music. You just need to get a real job. Go to college, get that degree, and, and all that. And they don't get it. Um, I've got friends of mine that did that. That are ten, fifteen years in their career. And you sit down with them, and some of them are miserable, I mean, completely miserable. And you ask them, well, what's, you know, you, like you've got this great lifestyle, you've got this great, you've got this great family, you've got this awesome career, and some of them will stop you and say the career's the problem. I'm like, what do you mean the career's the problem? You went to school for six years. You've done everything you were supposed to do. And they'll tell you, no, I didn't follow my passion. I followed yeah. the money because my, my parents or my guidance counselor in high school or my friends all told me to go this way because this is where the money's at, not where I wanted to go. And now they're miserable with their life. Well, you know, that's, but the thing is what people don't understand is uh, the education that you get in this, because you are, you're a, you are a marketing person. You are a, an accountant. You are, um, you know, I mean, you are in the social media. You are a web designer. I mean, you are, you know, you do merch. Yeah, you do everything. You're a booking person. I mean, you're everything. You learn so much in this. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I've learned so much about the back end of music and everything. I mean, about, I mean, I spent... So much time with a man named Milton Harkey, who's one of the seven founding fathers of the IBMA. And um, I spent a a summer with him staying at his house in Greensboro, helping him put together a festival called Bluegrass First Class. And I Mm. call it music boot camp because I always used to, I would tell him, I would be like, Milton, why don't you let me play your festival? It's one of the largest indoor bluegrass music festivals in the world. And I would say, why don't I get to play your festival? I'm better than so-and-so mm-hmm. and such-and-such. And, such. and he would go, 
Yes, you are. And I would say, well, why aren't you putting me up there? And he would say, it ain't about who's better. He'd say, honey, it's about who's putting butts in seats. Mm. And I would be like, but I'm better than them. And I would say, and he would be, yeah, but you know what? Who? But they don't know who you are. He'd be like, I know you're better than them. I'd much rather hear you sing myself. He was like, but you're not selling my tickets. They, people know this. That sells mm-hmm. my tickets. He was like, it ain't about who's better. It's about who can sell tickets. And I yep. would just be like, ugh, you know? And and I learned so much, you know, just from mm-hmm. spending time on that end of it. And, I mean, you know, and I would hear artists call him, and I would hear him talk to them, and I would see all the EPKs and, you know, everything that would get sent. I mean, there were stacks and stacks of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just saw the backside of it and what it takes to put it together and how much money is into it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I just learned, I learned why I got told no from other places. And I think every artist yeah. ought to have to go through that. <laughs> it'll, give you a different, it'll give you a different respect for a promoter. Yeah. I love, 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 love that. So tell everybody how they can reach out to you as we end this. Um, you guys can find me on Facebook. Um, I'm under the real Julia Ann. And you can also find me on Instagram. I'm on Instagram under, I think it's the real Julia Ann Nashville. I'm also on, and um, I'm just going to put this out here. It's horrible to say, but there is a porn star called Julia Ann. And <laughs> I get all her stuff. And hers is oh, under God. the real Julia Ann, too. And it drives me crazy. We are not the same person. Please just read it. Read it, read it, read it. We're not the same person. It's so tired of all that crap I get from her people. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, I'll let you guys log into my stuff one day. You guys can run my social media accounts for one day, and you'll be like, oh, bless her heart. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, I'm also on Reverb Nation. And um, you guys can drop me a line there anytime. I love to hear from everybody. And check out my music. I've got some new stuff coming up. I'm excited. I've got some things up my sleeve. Um, Just kind of going to go maybe in a different direction as far as my songs and stuff goes. Some new merch Mm -hmm. coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm looking forward to it. That is awesome. I appreciate you guys having me on. And we enjoyed having you on and loved hearing parts of your story because, yeah. again, it, it it needs to be told. And that was – I remember when Phyllis first pitched you to us for our shows a while back. I was like, i got to have her on. And then we got bombarded yeah. with so many people at once. And it's like yeah. her email got, like, pushed way back. And I was like, oh, God, i gotta get, I got to get um, Julianne on. I, and then I, I just reached out to her the other day, and it's like, Let's let's get this thing booked, <laughs> and here we and are. It happened so, to be episode one hundred. And it happened to be show number one hundred. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's so much fun. Thank you. I'm glad that I was able to make it for this one. <laughs> oh, we so appreciate we look forward it. To have, we look forward to having you back on down the road. Absolutely, I would love that. All right, we'll talk to you real soon. Okay, guys. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Bye. Thanks. Bye. 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 Hey, everyone. Hope you really enjoyed today's show. Um, She's got a really great story. Um, I love that type of story where you're down and everybody thinks you're out, but nope, you're not. I love that type of story, the underdog. 
But as always, we got another show coming at you tomorrow, and we'll see you then. <laughs>